This is a free download from Delancey Healing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Healing Church building at the Banks and Councils in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyhealing.co.uk. been looking forward to coming. i tell you why. Because um, I love going to churches where I really just need to say thank you. Um, and I want to say thank you for being such a supporter of Eel Emissions. Um, you really do. You're so generous. And thank you for that. And um, I, throughout the year you're generous um, and we appreciate it. And uh, I met some of the folks that, well, I met the majority of the folks who went to the Cambodia uh, trip this, uh, this last summer. And uh, you were all involved in that, whether you were praying or, or, or giving or, 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 or on that particular team. Just transformed the, that place. And um, uh, when I went to see it just at the end of summer, um, the, the playground that the you know, you, you put together and just the, the, that whole week it really left a mark. And uh, people in Cambodia, our Elam church in Cambodia definitely know about Delancey Elam now and are praying for you as well uh, on your journey. So that's, it's great, isn't it? How, you know, you don't have to be like 500 in your church to have an impact uh, overseas. And you're doing what is the heart of God. You are involved um, overseas. It's what Jesus wants you to do. It's the heart of God. It makes you healthy as a church because you're not inward-looking only on yourselves. You're thinking outside of that box. And people really need you to do it. And if you were in their particular shoes, they'd be going, yes, please, someone pray for us, someone, um, someone uh, give to us. And someone." And I noticed that you, um, you'd obviously sent certain people that you wanted to get rid of. The team was hand-picked. <laughs> and I understand that. And Nicole, you led that very, very well, and it's great. I always like to look at the notice boards and things, and it just shows that you've got a mission's heart. May God continue to bless that and work in that. Good, great. Well, it's lovely, as I say, to be here. I'm going to ask us to turn to Acts chapter 10. Um, Acts chapter 10, and it's, it's it's quite a long chapter. But Pastor John says, I've got three hours, so we're all right. Um, I'm not sure what to do. You see, like, I'm, I'm in a dilemma. See, I've hit that particular age where, guys, you know when you, your eyes go a little bit strange and you can't see the words? And I went to the opticians, they said, you need bifocals? I said, no, I'm not old enough for bifocals. She said, well, you need them. So I'm not going to have them. You'll have to have two lots of glasses. So I have, actually, I've got four. Uh, it's like, it's, you know, I don't, but I won't explain the other two. But the other, I've got, the, I've got readers and I've got these ones. These are my good ones. But I've left my readers. So God's going to help me. You're going to witness a miracle right before your eyes. I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the story. The story is about Cornelius, and it's a story about Peter, but it's really a story about Peter breaking out of um, prejudice. That's what the story is about. And um, Peter, who has this uh, vision, he has this vision, and um, he sees coming down from heaven this blanket of a barbecue, and everything that a Jew should not throw on the barbecue. God was giving him everything. Everything that the Jew hated, everything that the Jew said it's wrong, God was presenting it to him. It was coming from God. It wasn't coming from Satan so that Peter could rebuke it. 
Uh, it was actually coming a divine vision. How could God possibly offend Peter like this? It's amazing that actually, if God can offend us, he will. And Peter says, no. So began the whole process. And the whole point of that vision was that God was going to take him to an Italian family, a non-Jew family, a Gentile family. He was going to go into the house, which is massive for him to do that. Go into the house to share fellowship. And what he was going to witness was something that the church said would never happen. And still, afterwards, struggled with Peter's interpretation of what took place. And he saw the, the move of God. And Cornelius and the whole family were saved, were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, just like God was doing with the Jewish church. God was breaking out in the Gentiles. My message today, what I bring before you today, my heart is mission, and wherever I go I'm speaking to missionaries, which is you, because tomorrow, whatever you're doing tomorrow, whether it's work or in your home, wherever you, you might be on the same bus, the same bus route, you may be walking in the, to the same shops that you normally do. People are watching you. People are listening to you. And you will respond and react to certain things. And I'm saying to you this morning, and my message is this, that mission needs grace. Mission needs grace. There is a fence around some churches. It doesn't have a gate. It doesn't have a door. It comes all the way around the church and every week in this of the some of these churches, the church will gather to pray for the hundreds and the thousands who live in, in a one-mile, two-mile circumference around the church. And the prayer is, God, will you bring them in? The people on the other side of the fence not only can hear them, they cannot hear them, they do not want that, know what that prayer is. More importantly, they have no intention of coming over the fence to get into the church. And, and why would they? Why would the community want to come into the church? Why would the community want to scale a fence to get into the church? Why would the homosexual want to come into the church? Why would the immoral, the wayward, the sinner want to climb a fence and take all of that effort to come and join a community simply because that community is asking God to bring them in? Why would that ever, ever happen? Why would they want to come to be with the body of Christ who says we love you but we want you to change and if you change then you will find acceptance here. It's a slight change to the message that what you and I were brought into on. Because you and I came into the church just as I am without one plea. And we, were came, we came into the church and we were accepted for who we were and left alone within that church as we were for the Holy Spirit to work upon our lives. But today there seems to be a change of that message 
where in some places of Christendom we want a change to happen outside of the fence before they come in so that we can love them. When did the body of Christ stop becoming the offence, the offence for the sinner? You know how Christ became the offence on the cross for the sinner? When did the body of Christ stop doing that? When did the body of Christ stop becoming the offence For the sinner, I think it was the day that the church began to worship the cross instead of hanging on it. Mission needs grace. Ten years ago, the Rwandan genocide in 1994 lasted a hundred days and in that hundred days of hell on earth, 800,000 citizens were brutalized and murdered by their own neighbors by people that they knew they knew their names the hutu and tutsi tribes are the same ethnic group and they speak the same language and they live and they work together and they same they they share the same religion which the majority of that was catholic and they worshipped together, Tutsis and supportive Hutus were slaughtered by people that they had coexisted peacefully with for generations. And during that time, even school-aged children, Tutsis became dehumanised, being called snakes and cockroaches. And the killings were horrific and sadistic. Many, many stories came out of that time as they do today. And here's a story of a mother who lost her son killed in that genocide. This woman was nursing great bitterness, grievance. She had thoughts of vengeance. Wouldn't any mother have those kind of thoughts? She just wanted to find her son's killer and bring due punishment. But one night she has a dream. And in that dream she was going down the street and she saw a house and she knew whose house that was. And in her dream she said, that's the house of my son's killer. It's my enemy. And she heard God say to her, go into that house. And she said, I'm not going to go into the house. She went into the house. And God led her through many rooms. And then he led her up the stairs and she said, God, I'm not going to go up the stairs. She went up the stairs and at the top of the stairs was a door. She opened the door and she found that the door opening led her into heaven. And she had a revelation. And this is the revelation that she had. That the path to heaven goes through the house of her enemy. Two days later, there's a knock on her door. And a young man is standing there at the door and and he's shaking in front of her. And he says to her, I am the man who killed your son. I place my life in your hands. Whatever you want to do with me, do with me. If you want to hand me into the authorities, that's fine. If you want to kill me, you kill me. I've had no peace since what I did. Uh, I, I can't sleep. I, I, I'm restless. And uh, I will accept whatever you want to do to me. Because she had a revelation from God, she says, I will not do any of those things to you But I do have one request. My request is this, that you must now become my son. And she took him in and um, she fed him at the table. She put him in 
the place where her son would have been. And he's the same size, so he wore his clothes. He actually became a son to her because heaven passes through the house of your enemy. Who is your enemy? What does God have to bring down from heaven on a sheet? What does God have to present to you for you to say no? Who has hurt you? Who do you not like? What behavior do you not like? What behavior means that you will cross the street rather than go to that person? What just turns your stomach? What is it that just makes you, your stomach churn, that makes you just revolt within you to say, that's just hideous? Who is your enemy? What's on the blanket that's coming down from heaven? Would you believe that heaven goes through their house? God is an upside-down God, you see. God is not where you think God should be. God is in places that you think, God, you will never be there. God, I would never imagine you in that particular place. He hangs around communities you would not want to go near yourself. His grace is amazing, but His grace is offensive. He is not a fair God in our eyes. It seems like people get away with things. It seems that God is unjust at times. This is what His grace does for us. We accepted it for ourselves years ago, but today, as we've journeyed as a Christian, we struggle now at times with grace. We like His justice now. Grace throws parties for sons who have wasted their inheritance. Grace promises assurances to dying thieves that all they can say as they're dying is, will you remember me? Grace is found in defeat, not victory. It's in the prisons of failure. It's not only in the palaces of achievement. It refuses to break the bruised reed that everyone wants to break and snuff out the smoldering wick that everyone sees as useless. Grace stands up for those who are not. Grace says this, I love you, nothing else, full stop. I love you, totally. That's it. How things are now, no matter how bad it is, no matter what you have done, no matter what has taken place. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. We all know that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's a one verse. It appears one time in the Old Testament to love our neighbor as ourself. But we struggle with loving the stranger, which appears 36 times in the Old Testament. We all love God and we all celebrate the fact that we're made in the image of of God, but the great challenge for our lives is to see God's image in the person who is not made in our image, who is completely different to us. God cannot be there. It's a challenge for the church, it's going to become even greater. And here's the story of Cornelius. That, and we need to understand this. That it shook the church at the core, at the centre. It took them a while to get through this. Peter holds the keys to the kingdom, so we're told. 
and um, we see God moving in Pentecost, we see God moving in Acts 2, we see God moving uh, in, the, in the persecution of Acts 8, and here we are, God moving in Acts 10, and it's about prejudice. And God moves in the breaking of prejudice within the church. Because mission needs grace. One of the main barriers to mission is this. It's, it's prejudice. Now, I didn't think I was prejudiced. And you will probably say, we're not prejudiced. Because we know it's not right to be prejudiced. Peter would have said, I'm not prejudiced. You know how I, how I know that? Because before chapter 10, at the end of chapter 9, there's a verse that tells us where, where, where Peter is staying. He's staying in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. And there's, there's see, there's degrees in prejudice. There's, there's prejudice that's breaking out in the world today that's creating horrendous suffering. And then there's prejudices based upon the fact that we're prejudge, you know, we're just prejudging th- things, and but th- that's that's where we really need to tackle it. And and Simon Peter would Peter would say, "I'm not prejudiced," just like you and I would say, "I'm not." And here's the proof: I am actually living in a tanner's house. I'm living in Simon's house, who lives on the coast in Joppa, away from the city, and I'm I'm living there now. This is huge because the tanner. Was a, uh, was a profession that worked with leather goods that, that came out of dead animals. They would take the skin of dead animals and make them into leather. And because you make, you're working with dead animals, it would make you ceremonially unclean. You were unaccepted to the Jew. So the Jews would despise the tanners because they're, they're unclean. The Simon, Peter, is, is, is living there. Look, I'm not prejudiced. I'm living with a gentile. I'm living with a tanner. You know, if, if, a, girlfriend, if a girl was uh, engaged to um, a tanner and, and did not know that he was a tanner, unbeknown to her, and she found out later, she could divorce him just on that basis of that particular job. And so Peter would say, look, I'm not. I'm not, um, I'm not prejudiced. When I went to Maasai land in Kenya, I didn't think I was prejudiced. Um, I went to uh, Kenya and, uh, a couple of years ago and um, I went on door-to-door evangelism, which is hard to do when it's like in Maasai Island, there's a hut here and there's like 20 kilometres, there's another hut down there and we go to this hut with this pastor and he, um, he said, he uh, the, the, the man comes out with um, four wives, says, I'm a Christian, brings out his four wives. My, my mind goes, thank you God that I'm here. This is why you brought me here, man of God, for the hour, with power. I'm here. Thank you God. <laughs> Good job, I'm here. Because I know why you brought me here, because this guy is either crazy, because he's got four wives, right? <laughs> you know, got one wife, married to one wife, you know, one mother-in-law. You know, four wives, four mother-in-laws, guys, guys bonkers, all right? So that's the first thing. Secondly, you know, this kind of thing goes across all in Africa. It's a big, big thing that's, that's wrong within Africa. So I'm going to deal with this guy. He says he's a Christian. That's an offense to me. For him to say he's a Christian, he's got four wives, there's something wrong. So God, I'm ready. But I'm not prejudiced. Do you see? I'm not prejudiced, you see? But you see my response? I'm prejudiced. Because already I'm prejudging some facts. I don't know his story. I don't even know his name. I don't know when these four wives appeared. I don't know what's going on behind it all. But I'm already jumping in there. Me and God, we're going to sort this geezer out. Yeah? This is how it happens. This is why there's prejudice in some churches. And in Christians' lives. So I go and he invites me in. Sit in this small hut. It's hot, it's sweaty, it's not a great place to be in. It's not on the, you know, 
the grand scale of pleasant by any means. And he asks his first wife to pray, and she prays, and I think, hmm, that's a nice prayer, but it's not of God because it's not, this is not a God to think, you know, but it's a nice prayer, I'll give him that. Um, second wife, she sings, and during the song, I begin to feel uh, something of the Holy Spirit. You see, I've been to all, as a pastor, I was so, my church was so desperate at times, that send me everywhere to get something. And so I, you know, wherever the revivals were breaking out, you know, in the world, I'd go. And the, the, my church would probably, God, please touch our pastor, because we're so desperate. You know, let him bring something back, because we're fed up. And uh, so I had the joy of going to many places. You know, I per- during when I came back, I purposely was a rubbish pastor, so they keep sending me away. So I knew the, the sense of God, you know, I knew the presence of God, and so I'm witnessing this song, and I'm going, God, this feels like you, but it can't be because this isn't you. And so there starts to be a battle between my head and my heart. And the third wife, she uh, read Psalm 23, finished off with a, a, a final song, and I'm just totally bro- broken, ripped apart in my head and my heart because God can't be here because this is not God. God cannot be in this situation. But he feels like he is. And then the man tells us the story. And two years previously, a traveling evangelist had come by and, and he'd led them all to the Lord. There is no church. There is no church for 25 kilometers in that area. And so the traveling evangelist gave them a Bible and he taught them two songs. And every Sunday they gather and they gather as a family and their children and they pray together, they sing the two songs and they read from the scriptures. He tells this story and I'm absolutely a broken, repentant man because I say to God, God, please forgive my prejudice because we prejudge because we don't know everybody's story and we don't know the stories of people outside of the fence and what it is that's kept them in a lifestyle and what they're pursuing and the things that they're involved in. And actually, every one of us, every one of us in the whole world are thirsting for a saviour. Every one of us are thirsting for something to come and bring meaning to our life. And there's many, many different stories and prejudice will stop us from actually hearing the story of individuals. Mission needs grace. Prejudices are what you have when you prejudge before you know the facts. Let me tell you a few things about prejudices. Prejudices are, are taboos. Taboos. Uh, the taboos is a social or a religious custom that prohibits a practice. I've just mentioned one. A religious or a um, um, social custom. So when, when Peter says in Acts 10 verse 28, it's against our law, he's really saying it, it's our law, it's, it's, it's what we believe, it's our custom, it's our religious expression, it's what we think and believe and do, it's ours, and it's against what you are doing, it's against us, and it's a taboo, it's something that we prohibit it's never going to happen. And actually, <laughs> Christians have a list. I've been a Christian majority of my life. I got saved when I was eight years of age. I've committed more sins since coming to Christ than before. I wish I had a really great testimony, but at eight years of age, it's really rubbish. <laughs> you know, you've done no sins, and, uh, which are actually good ones. Um, anyway, that's another testimony. Um, and so, but I've been brought up in, in, in the church and, and I, I understand, I was brought up with a, with a list of things that are taboos. It's taboo to go, Paul, it's taboo to go out, out of the house on a Sunday other than you're going to worship. You don't go and play out on a Sunday. It's the Sabbath. You stay indoors. You don't watch television. You don't go and play with your friends. 
You just go to church. Or for me, it was the Salvation Army. That's all you do. And I don't understand how unfair God was, that God always made it sunny on a Sunday, and it would rain on a Saturday. And God and me had major problems with that, you know. I remember sticking my head out of the window, just to just try and express, find some air, you know. I remember doing that, you know. And you don't go to the cinema, you may catch something. I mean, I don't even want to mention the pub, but then we have problems because as we then hit a decade when pubs were closing down, they had to introduce food. There was a big discussion within church circles of, well, what are you going to the pub for? I promise, I'm going for food. Okay, well, as long as you're going for food, that's all right. Well, you don't have to go to the bar to, to, to order food. You can sit where you are and they'll come to you because if you go to the bar, something's going to happen and the devil will jump out on you and get you, you know? And so, and you go through that thing and then then the Sunday shopping came in and, and people go, well, you know, he's working. What do you mean, he's working? Yeah, well, uh, she's a nurse. And so, that, oh, well, that's okay. She's a nurse. She's working on a Sunday. Well, that's fine. You know, we need that. He's a fireman. He's working. That's fine. Well, what about him? He's, he's an engineer. Well, an engineer? He doesn't need to work on a Sunday? What, what's so that? Well, that's wrong because it's a Sabbath. And we got ourselves into a whole thing. Why? Because we have a shopping list. And we all have one. And we can pull one out and go... Let me just see where you are. Are you on my, on my list here? Are you on my list of acceptance? You know, can you come into my circle, you know, and, uh, of acceptance? And if you are on that list, we have got a fence built around. And until you take your name off this list, then you're not going to come into my acceptance. It's our law. It's what God has told us to do. It's a taboo. And they're held in families and cultures and generations. And people and children grow up with this. And suddenly they become grandparents. And they believe this. And they don't know why they believe this. But it was passed down to them from generations. Well, it's been, well my, your mother and your grandmother believe this. So you're going to do this. You know, This is in our family. And this is the family way. And you're not going to change. But why? But why would... I don't know, but that's the way. It's taboo. They can even be supported. If you can support it by a story, that's even better. And so, for the Gentile looking at the Jew, they would have stories like this. Um, They don't eat pork. And the problem for the Gentile was the pork was the cheapest meat. And the pork, pork was for the poor. Pork was for the commoner. Pork was for people who had no social status. Oh, see the Jews? They think they are above us because they don't eat our food. The Jews would look down on the Gentiles. And you know why the Jews would not go into a Gentile's house? One of the stories would be is that when tragedy happens in a Gentile's home, and if they lose a baby, if a mom loses their baby, or if, they, well, actually, they were even more condemnatory. They'd say, oh, the Gentiles, they don't, they don't have miscarriages. They abort their babies. And they would hide the fetuses under the floorboards. Incredible, nasty stories based on folklore and not truth. It's staggering within, within Christendom when you come across a story that's based upon legend, that's not what happened. And you've believed in that for generations. And you've taught your children that. And you've lived your life like that. And it's not true. Staggering revelation. Worse still is if you can get a Bible verse Oh my words, if you can get a Bible verse, that's it, it's sealed. There you go, I'll quote you, Leviticus 11, don't touch any of these wrong foods. Peter was right, I'm not going to touch these foods. It says it here in the verse, it says it right here, I've got a verse. Scriptures told Jews to be separate from other nations, so they'd have the verses. And you can have a verse, you can have a Bible verse, you can whip it out. There you go, 
says it here, and that will strengthen your prejudice. You become untouchable. Indeed, no one can come near you. A mission cuts off because there's no grace. Prejudices are taboos. Prejudices are forceful. You know, sometimes when you come across people, they, bec- they become like a different, different creation when they, get, when they step into the prejudice. There's no room for discussion. That's the end of it. I don't want to hear any more of it. This is the position. No discussion. Peter's saying, surely not, Lord. I mean, what a great three words. <laughs> Lord, master of all, controller, Lord of all, you are everything. You just said a word, I mean. Surely not, Lord. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it, what Peter says? But Peter was like that, you know. Jesus says, want to wash your feet. No, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. No, you're never going to go. Peter was so forceful, so, so adamant, so, so strong. A person, you know, here's a thought, isn't it? A person, a Christian, can be adamant, strong, forceful, and be wrong. <laughs> this is quite incredible, isn't it? Can you imagine being like that all your life, forceful right to the end of your life, and then realize, uh-oh, I've been wrong all my life. Prejudices can be uh, a forceful, taboos, forceful. Prejudices deny God. They deny what God has said. So, you know, you may have a Bible verse. You may have two or three. But you, you will pro- if it's a prejudice, you're going to have to actually deny what God has already said about other things as well, in other places as well. So, for example, let me say this. You know, Peter had a verse, Leviticus 11, about the food laws and not, not eating uh, this unclean food. And, but Peter had to let go. He had to let go of these verses. Um, when Peter said, look, I can't go to the Gentiles' house. When Peter's battling with all this, he had a verse, but he had to let go of these verses. I will make the nations your inheritance in Psalm 2. Um, all the families of the nations will bow before God in Psalm 22. I will make you a light to the Gentiles in Isaiah 42. I will pour my, out my spirit on all people, Joel 2. I mean, he just had to put that down. Because he had his verse. And the problem is, you may have your Bible verse to back up your family tradition, to back up your taboo, to back up your list. But if it's prejudice towards people, you are going to have to put down other verses that God has spoken about the people that he's got a heart for, the people who are broken, the people who are um, on uh, social stigma, the people who are on the fringe of society, the people that no one wants to touch, the untouchables. You're going to have to put down those verses and not put them on the table because they will actually disagree with that one verse that you've got in your hand. Every person is in the same position. They are loved. In essence, what Peter was learning was this, that prejudice is the greatest denial of Christ. That's what he was learning. Uh, Every person is loved. Every person is accepted before God. That God loves everyone. God is not offended by somebody. God is not going to say, oh, I can't come anywhere near you. God wants to go to these people and God wants to embrace these people and he has the church to do that for him. Prejudice needs a message. It's a message of peace. It's a message of incarnation. It's a message of the presence of God. I could give you these verses through that chapter. It's a message of resurrection. It's a message that... Is experienced himself. Peter had to change himself and to then begin to tell the story. Let me just bring this to a head and say this. Who is your Cornelius? Who is your Cornelius? Who is God really challenging you to go to? who's completely different to you and has a different lifestyle. 
different belief system. Just you and that person, like you just, on many, many ways, you don't see eye to eye on many, many things. And actually, you've summed up that person. You know that person pretty good, really. Actually, the truth is, there's a lot of things about that person you don't know. And there's a story behind that person that if you knew it, it would make sense. It would make sense to you. That person may have hurt you. That person may have walked over you and said things to you that are unkind. And today, they've become within your own heart an enemy. And you try not to think about that person. You try and put them to one side. My friends, I'm saying this, is that God will not leave you alone on that. And God will continue knock on your door of your heart and say that person's name. And that face will come to you from time to time. And you may think it's an attack of the enemy, but it's not. It's a vision from heaven. And what you are trying to rebuke and what you are trying to get rid of, it's actually God presenting it to you every single time. Don't call what is clean, unclean. Do not say, we must not idolize, we must not demonize, we must not say they can do no wrong, neither must we say they will never ever change, they will never ever be accepted, they will never ever come before God, they will never, we we must not demonize people and imprison them in our Christianity. Will prejudice fence you in? And my message this morning is that prejudice can be a fence that you put around your life. It's an offense that needs to be broken. It's a luxury that you cannot afford to have. It's going to make you miserable. For mission, it needs grace. And I pray, Father, right now in this place, right now, and I don't know the story of these people's lives, but you do. And I pray, Spirit of God, as we have sung to Jesus, and as we have worshipped you, you know the hurts And you know the enemies of our lives. We wish, Lord, at times that our enemy would simply only be spiritual. But there are times, Lord, that our enemies are flesh and blood. And Lord, that they're walking around and we see them today. And Lord, when we think of them, we see their faces and we hear their voices and we remember everything that they've done. Lord, there are people that have different lifestyles today and their sin turns our stomach. And God, I pray, Lord, that right now that the Spirit of grace will come upon our lives. And I'm feeling my heart, Lord, that someone this morning truly, truly needs to forgive truly needs to say, God, my mission life needs grace. And I want to come back to the cross. I want to come back to you this morning. And I'm going to bring that person who wronged me. I'm going to bring that enemy that's in my mind right now to you. And I'm going to say, God, I want to begin to love that person. I want to begin to reach out. I want to begin to pray for that person. Just come and have your way right now. I'm going to ask um, Nigel if you can just come and come to the keyboard for a moment. I'm just going to give an opportunity just for the Holy Spirit to do something. Nigel, thank you. Um, just, just, let's just remain in an atmosphere of prayer for a moment because I just want to don't I don't want to miss an opportunity of what God might be doing I, I wouldn't want anybody to leave this service 
um, without the chance to receive prayer. I just want to speak into people's lives and just to help you. So, come Lord. Come, Spirit of God, come. Let's just stand to our feet in the the presence of God this morning. Let's just begin to, to pray to Him and say, God, let grace fall on me. Let me be a mission, a missioner filled with grace. Let me not walk on the other side of the street. Let me not turn my nose. Let me not turn my back. Let me go where you want me to go. Let me be a a person who loves. Let me not be one of those Christians who hates, who is known to say that we stand against, but let me be a Christian who is known for someone who stands for. We stand for people. We stand for God, for people who God loves. Spirit of grace, come. Break hearts that have been hurt. where things have been maybe built over the years, where we may have lists, let us tear them up. Open our heart, Lord. feel this morning that um, as, as some of you will come forward for prayer right now and I, I will pray for you and I'll speak into your life but within that group of people that will come for prayer there's going to be somebody who this is going to be a very very significant moment for you this morning and uh, there's a battle going on because you, you know, there's a, sometimes we, we get comforted by holding our enemy in the prison. And we can see them, we, we've trapped them in our heart. And they become a prisoner. Because we do want to see justice. And God is actually, actually asking you today to open the prison door and to allow that person to be free. And someone right now is going to be battling to come to the front because you know that that's what God is asking you. But I'm saying to you now, if you are going to be free, if you are going to be happy, if you are going to be fulfilled in your life, you are going to have to be free of prejudice. You are going to have to be free of judgment in your heart towards people, whoever they are, no matter what they've done to you. So God, open the door and let that individual say yes to you today. So now come quickly. Just come and stand at the front. I'm going to pray with you. The Spirit of grace is going to come upon people and speak into their life. Just come right now. Step out from your role. Just come. We're going to pray. That's it. Just come right now. Just keep coming. Yes, Lord. Just come. This is your moment. That's it. That's it. I'm going to wait until people come. Until I'm going to wait for a moment, and then. I'll begin to pray.
This is a real, real important moment. Thank you. Don't battle anymore. Come now. Come now. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give you one more minute. People are still coming, so come. Give you one more minute. Spirit of grace is here this morning. It's going to be breaking. Breaking our lives. It's painful, you know, <laughs> because at times, you know, you don't want to really want to be here at the front because <laughs> this is a big thing to give up. It's running right across some of your mind. Your minds are saying, don't be here, but it's like a battle with your head and your heart. But you're going to be healthier for this. It's the right thing to do than anybody else. Come now. And I'm going to come and pray now. And then I'm going to ask everybody else to worship. Jesus, so I just lay hands upon each person. You know the story. And you know what they are bringing. And you know the battle. Lord, it's like every one of these is coming back to the cross. And instead of worshipping the cross, they're getting on the cross. And are becoming the offence for the sinner. As they do that, Lord, let grace from heaven fall. Let grace from heaven fall. someone in relation to this sermon, please call the church on 01481 249 490 or email admin at delanceyelim.co.uk and someone will pray with you. Thank you for listening to this pre-download from Delancey Elim Church. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk